God is good. All the time. Keep telling you that. About the time you believed it. Uh, he is faithful. Um, welcome. Uh, if you are visiting with us, my name is Mike. And no, Jason, I do not dress up with each other. Um, <laughs> Every week, yeah. What are you wearing today, man? Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so if you have your scriptures with you, as you can see behind me, we are walking through the miracles of Jesus according to John. Uh, though miracles are recorded in all the Gospels, we are primarily focusing on the Gospel of John and, and his recording of, of the miracles. There's eight miracles altogether in the Gospel of John. Uh, the, the epitome of the miracles being the resurrection. We're not going to be focused on the resurrection in this series. Uh, we're going to have a whole series just about that. So this one is about the other seven, as John is, is showing us and trying to uh, reveal to us who Jesus Christ is, not only through these miracles, but through his teachings. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 6, if you have your Bible with you or your phone, tablet, whatever you're using to read the Word of God. We've already seen the water to wine, the royal official son healed, the healing at the sheep gate in Jerusalem. And now it's probably the, one of the more familiar of the miracles in the feeding of the 5,000. And one thing that uh, you may struggle with as I struggle with this week is I've read it so much. I've, I've preached and taught on this passage uh, or this event so many times that to look at it with a new perspective and a, and a new set of eyes. And that's kind of hard to do if you've grown up in church or you're familiar with certain passages or stories. Just to allow God to, to show you something new to show you something that has always been there, but maybe you haven't seen. And so I hope this morning, even though we may be familiar with this story, uh, that happens for us and we leave here uh, not only encouraged, but equipped for the work that God has set aside for us to do, uh, not only today, but the rest of this week. Uh, verse 1 begins with, I'm going to have to move this because I just can't see uh, all y'all's pretty faces over here. Uh, verse 1 begins with after this. We talked about this last week. After this in John's gospel doesn't necessarily mean immediately after whatever he just recorded. John tells us at the end of the gospel that, you know, if he wrote everything that Jesus did, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't fit it in all the books and all the world and all the libraries. And so it just means that, you know, it happened sometime after what John just wrote about. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But anyway, beginning in verse 1. We read, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. And Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish as much as they wanted. Verse 12, when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. And therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray together. But I think for this day. 
I thank you for this, the testimony Tina gave us and just how faithful you are, even the times we may not see it. Uh, we may even doubt it at times. But Lord, we know that you are constantly involved in our life. Your word says you never leave us or forsake us, that you're there, you're our, you're our guide, you're our shepherd. And so Father, I ask in this moment and this time that you be our shepherd through this text that your spirit speak to all of our hearts here, that you open our ears to hear you. You give our hearts a heart that is ready to respond to what you're going to lay before us. Father, help us to love you right now with our minds so that when we leave this place, we can love you with our entire being and love those people you place in our life. Please forgive us if we have not worshipped you in spirit and truth, if we have not been the type of worshipers you've been seeking in this place, but Lord, give us a heart for that. Father, we want to see you glorified, and so I ask in this time you just get me out of the way. Bring all glory to yourself, for you alone are worthy of it. Forgive me, Lord, if I have failed you in any way, in any time in this place, and I thank you for everyone who's here this morning. Thank you for the promises of your word, and take us to where you need us to be, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you're one of those that are, you're like me and you like a timetable, like you like to have an image of what's going on. Um, this is one of the only miracles outside of the resurrection that all four Gospels record. What it tells us is this miracle made a huge impact on the disciples and those individuals there that they wanted to preserve it. Now, each one of the Gospels, you can read it later this afternoon if you want, each one of the Gospels give us a little bit of tidbits here and there that kind of uh, bring the story even more to life if you were to put the puzzle together. But one thing we can gather if we use the Gospel of Mark is this event took place after, that would be immediately after, uh, Jesus' disciples came back from the first time he sent them out in two to go do the mission and the ministry of God. And as they come back, they begin telling Jesus about everything that had been going on. And Jesus' comment to them is, come with me to a remote place so that we can rest a while. Um, he most likely understood the disciples were tired, most likely understood that they were worn out. They didn't all see good things, but he wanted to probably to get some feedback from them, probably to instruct them a little bit more. He wanted to get away. I mean, kind of like the commercial, you want to get away? And they said, yes, we want to get away. And so they were going to go to a remote place. This is the purpose and what is setting up this event here in chapter six is they're getting to a remote place. They're wanting to get away from the crowds, but the crowds have a different agenda. Because they want to get away with Jesus too. They want to be where Jesus is. So these crowds are coming. And the Bible tells us here in John they were coming because they saw the signs. They saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Gospel of John uses the word signs for miracles because that's what they're supposed to do. They're, they're signs showing that Jesus is the Son of God. Signs showing that He is equal with God. He is of the same nature of God and how He came to reveal God. That's why they're signs. That's why we're walking through them. And a normal feature in Jesus' ministry, if you were to read through the Gospels, is Jesus loved being around the water. He loved being around the Sea of Galilee. Matter of fact, if we just looked at a map and how little space Jesus actually traveled around, but how much impact he's had all across this world, it should be amazing, baffling. Jesus, once again, is by the Sea of Galilee. He's walking and his crowds are coming. He's wanting to get to a remote place, a desolate place, a place where no one else would be, and they're heading to the mountain. And the Bible tells us in verse 4 that the Passover Jewish festival was near. We can read over that so 
easily. But here, if we had a map, we would see that the Sea of Galilee was to the north, Jerusalem's to the south, about 70 miles, 70 to 80 miles of, of traveling. Now, they didn't have cars or trains or buses or anything, so it was mostly by foot. An average person today would walk, that would take a little over two days. Now, it was an obligation upon Jewish men to go to the Passover in Jerusalem. That's, that's the only place you could go celebrate the Passover, is in Jerusalem. But here we come into the Gospel of John, and instead of these men being drawn to Jerusalem, they're drawn to Jesus. Now, they may not have had God intentions about coming to Jesus and following Jesus, but they were drawn to Him. The Bible tells us that there were 5,000 men. We also can gather there's most likely women and children which put this crowd into the tens to fifteens of thousands of people that are gathering, wanting to be around Jesus because of the signs He has been doing throughout the area. And I love John's recording of this. Look there in verse 5. It says, when Jesus looked up, He noticed a huge crowd. First of all, Jesus, He already knew they were there. But he noticed this huge crowd coming toward him, and he asked Philip, Hey, Philip, what do you think we should do with all these people? How are we going to feed all these people? And I, I believe this shows Jesus a sense of humor. If you don't believe God has a sense of humor, then just wait. But I believe it does because it tells us in John that Jesus turns to Philip and says, Hey, wow, there sure are a lot of people here. How are we going to feed them all? And John tells us that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And so this is just kind of putting Philip on the spot. Why is he asked Philip? We don't necessarily know. John doesn't give us that, that sort of information. But we do know Jesus already had in mind what was going to take place. And so he puts Philip on the spot. And can you imagine Philip? Can you imagine being Philip in that moment? Why are you asking me? Why don't you ask Peter, Right? That's where I would have been. Why don't you ask Peter? Peter always has something to say. You know, he, he'll, even if it's wrong, he'll say it. You should. But Philip gets put on the spot. Maybe it's because Philip was one of the first disciples to understand who Jesus was as the Messiah. Maybe it's because Philip was at the water to wine and Jesus wanted to know if he had finally clicked or he finally understood the power of God that could be manifested through Jesus Christ, the power of faith. Whatever it is, Philip sees the crowd and his response is, where will we buy bread so these people are, sorry, he sees the crowd, verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough. 200 denarii would be about eight months worth of wages. So I looked up online, saw that the average American salary eight months would be $30,000. I don't know where those people work, but that's what the average salary in America would be for eight months worth of wages. So Philip is saying, eight months, Eight months of working still would not provide enough food for all these people. What we find about Philip is Philip was a realist. Some might say he was a pessimist. The realists see things for how they are. They, they see the facts. They're good at math and equations and solving problems in that sort of manner. They, they see what's laid before him. And, and typically realists can see a problem and then they can make a decision on whether or how to go about fixing that problem. Realists drive pessimists or optimists crazy because realists will say either it can or can't be done. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. That's where Philip is. Jesus, 
You see these people, you're asking me, I'm telling you this would be impossible if we had all the money. I tell you to tap into your banking or savings account, but Jesus, you don't have one. I tell you to take a second mortgage out on your house, but Jesus, you don't have a house. I tell you to dip into the funds that we have, but you tell us, Jesus, not to carry anything with us or too much. And Judas is kind of in charge and he's kind of stingy with it. So Jesus, I don't know what you want me to say or what you want to do, but this is impossible. But Philip's got a buddy, right? Good old Andrew, who we're told is Peter's brother. Andrew speaks up and says, uh, well, there is a boy here and he's got five loaves, five barley loaves and two fish. Can you imagine Philip seeing Andrew and hearing Andrew say that? Philip's already made up his mind. This is impossible. This is not going to happen. Just, just send them away. The other gospels said the disciples, their consensus was just send the people away. They were done. They wanted to call it a day. They, they wanted to get away with Jesus and just Jesus, not 10,000 people. And so Andrew speaks up. Well, there is this, this kid here, which lets us know there were children in the crowd as well, not just the 5,000 men that were given. But he has five loaves and two fish. And I imagine Philip gave him that look. Husbands, you know the look. We say something. And the wife gives the look. You're an idiot. You know the look, right? Who has gotten the look before? Proudly raise your hand. Yeah. How many times today? Yeah. Days young, buddy. Days young. I imagine when, when Andrew spoke up, Philip gave him that look. You're an idiot. And maybe that's why Andrew said, but uh, what are they for so many? They're in verse 8. But what we see at the very beginning of this this miracle. Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but Jesus was inviting his disciples to be a part of it. That's what we need to learn today, is that God is inviting us to be a part of his work. God has invited you and me to be a part of his eternal plan. And here's the beauty of it. He has enabled each one of his children to do it. He has given you an indwelling Holy Spirit. Philip, he looked at the crowd. He saw something greater than himself, something that would be impossible. And because of Philip's faith in that moment, and, and Andrew kind of has that optimistic attitude, but he still is struggling with his faith. Because of that, instead of seeing the God of making the impossible possible, they put God in this little box and say it can't be done. But if we go with that mindset of any sort of thing that God places before us, any sort of ministry, any sort of direction, God is going to take Harvest Hill and we say, you know, that can't be done. It's impossible. We don't, we don't have the time. We don't have the resources. We don't have the people. We, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we can come up with all these different excuses, but all we need to understand is God is already going to do the work. He is just inviting us to be a part of his eternal plan. He's inviting us to join him in his eternal mission, which he is going to, he's already established and he's going to fulfill. He is inviting us into this party. Philip was flabbergasted. Andrew said, well, there's a chance, but it's not a very big one. Where are we? Where are you? There's not a person here this morning, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, there's not a person here that God has not invited you to be a part of what he wants to do. God wants to use you. And the beauty of this story is God is inviting these disciples, Jesus is inviting the disciples to take part in the miraculous. And what they do because of their faith is they step aside. 
It's impossible. I can't do it. We don't have the resources. We, we can't take care of all these people. And so we notice here in the miracle that Jesus steps in. He gives the opportunity. It's like God gives us the opportunity to be a part of what he wants to do. And when we step aside, the work of God does not stop. Jesus steps in. And so he begins giving instructions. And at this point where the disciples were given this opportunity to, to be actively a part of the miraculous, actively a part of the power of God coming out of them, Jesus steps in and the disciples go from being a, an active part in coming up with a solution to now Jesus puts them as ushers. And he, he gives them directions on how to sit the people. You see, when God invites us to be a part of what he wants to do in our life, in our family's life, in his church, what we can do in our lack of faith is we can look at our schedules, we can look at our resources, we can calculate how much time that is going to take, how much ability we have, and then we can excuse ourselves just like these disciples, and we can step aside, and then we watch God do what he was going to do in the first place that he invited us to be a part of. Jesus continues to work. And he says, disciples, okay, now that you are not going to come up with any sort of solution, now that you've put the power of God in this little box, here's what you can do. Start sitting the people. Start sitting them. The Bible says it's in groups of hundreds and fifty. Many believe that it's, it's 50 rows, 100 deep, all separated into family groups. And, and, and in this moment, they get this image of what Jesus told them back in Samaria when he was with the woman at the well, that the, open your eyes and look at the fields the, the, because they are ready for the harvest. But then the also truth comes to mind. There are, there's Jesus and 12 disciples and thousands of people, and there's just this little bit of food, and they're all tired and ready to be done. The truth of Matthew 9, 37, that the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. I think it's a sad reality that in many churches today, they live out that verse more than any other verse in Scripture. There's a saying in church life that 10% of the people do 100% of the work. I haven't necessarily seen that here at Harvest Hill. But here's why I'm going to say it again. I've said it numerous times. If this is where God has placed you, or if this is where God is calling you, then God is calling you to Harvest Hill to use you at Harvest Hill for His glory, for His kingdom advancement. He is inviting you to be a part of what He's doing, and God's doing some awesome stuff. But this image we get in the Gospels is that there's just a harvest row of people wanting to see something miraculous, wanting to God, God to intervene in their life, they didn't come with God intentions, but they came. And Jesus takes over, which is what has to happen in our life. We have to just give him control. We have to allow him to, to take over. And that's when the miraculous begins to happen. Disciples are out organizing, and Jesus takes what little was brought, and he gives thanks to God. And then the disciples are back into it. What we learn here is not only does God invite us, but when we are willing to be used by God, God works through us. And he works for us. Jesus invited the disciples to be part of something greater than themselves. And the part they played probably didn't seem that significant. You want me to put the people in rows? You want me to sit them down? I'm, I'm the hospitality team now? It probably didn't seem that significant, but it was huge because it was preparing for what was happening. See, these, these individuals, as they sitting people, are sitting people down, and God invites them to be a part of it. Even though it may not have been that significant, they got to experience the power of God. 
God may not be inviting you to be a part of the worship team or to give a testimony or to teach a Sunday school class. He may be inviting you to work in the nursery. And it may not seem, well, that's just insignificant. Tell that to the parents who are so thankful for the people watching kids in the nursery right now, how insignificant that is. He may be inviting you to be a part of the youth ministry and helping Jason out. He may be inviting you to be a part of the children's ministry. He may be inviting you to do something that's just behind the scenes, maybe helping clean up around the place or, or to clean up the kitchen or to cook food, and you're like, that's just so insignificant. God wants to take whatever you can bring to the table and amplify it for his glory. The disciples had very little faith anything could happen. And Jesus invites them in, and when they finally got on God's page, he says, now let me work through you and for you. And in doing that, you're going to experience my power and my presence. Maybe here with little faith or little resources. Andrew and Philip had little faith. The little boy had little resources. But no matter how big your faith or little your faith or how big or, or small of what you bring to the table, understand that God takes our little and he does great things with it. He will take your little resources, time, abilities, talents, and he will do great things with it if you'll simply let him. And he's inviting you to be a part of that. The Bible is filled with this. God creates mankind to populate the earth. He doesn't start like, well, I better create like a thousand right off the bat. How many does he start with? Two. When God rescues Israel from Egypt, he doesn't send a massive army to bring him out. What does he do? Since one man, by the name of Moses. When God defeated a Goliath, it wasn't with another mighty warrior, but it was a little shepherd boy named David. When God came to save the world, it wasn't in a, a big bang explosion. It was through a little baby boy, not born in a palace, but in little meager circumstances. When Jesus commissioned his disciple to take the gospel to the world, he didn't commission the thousands, he commissioned the eleven. That you will go, and you will, you will make disciples. When the gospel is to go to the Gentile world, God didn't take the thousands in the book of Acts who were coming to Christ every single day. What did God do? He called one man named Paul. You're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. See, God uses the little and he can make it explode into something we can never even fathom if we'd simply just lay it at his feet and say, here it is. It's yours. And God, you can make this be something I can never even comprehend. God wants to do great things through you and for you. For his glory, we can feel weak and little, but the reality is when, when we feel those things, it's because we're focused on us more than we're focused on him. I love this song. Our God is so... Y'all need to go to children's church a little bit more. <laughs> He's so strong and so mighty, there's what? Nothing our God cannot do, Right? you got to get the thump in. God has given us this incredible upgrade. When I come to Christ, he's made me a new creation. He's given me a new identity, a new title, a new eternal destination, and a new power indwelling inside of me for his glory. God has put that there for a purpose. He wants to use you. No matter how young, old you are, he wants to use you. The Bible says that God has given us everything required for life and godliness. And I believe the only thing that can keep us from being a part of God's plan is fear, which the Bible also reveals that's something God has not given you. 
The Bible says in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. You may be here this morning, and God is inviting you to the miraculous. Maybe it's just be inviting you right now to be a part of Harvest Hill and, and to make that known. Maybe it's to be a part of some sort of the ministry. Maybe God has put something on your heart and your mind for a ministry we're not even doing yet. Are you giving God excuses? Are, are, you, are you telling God all these reasons why you can't do it? Andrew and Philip had logical reasons why this couldn't happen, what Jesus was asking. And all Jesus was saying, just give me what you got. I'll, give, I'll use it for my glory. And God does this throughout Scripture. God sees us, people who struggle with sin, but what He does is He invites us into something great, something powerful, something magnificent, something greater than ourselves. And God does it, like I said, throughout Scripture. He uses people who are not worthy to represent Him for His glory, but He invites them in. Go back to Genesis. God uses a drunk named Noah to build an ark and save the world. You turn in through Genesis, you see, we find that God uses a doubting, barren mother to give birth to a nation in Sarah. God used a liar and a trickster in Jacob to bring forth Israel. God used an outcast son to keep Israel alive in Joseph. God used a stuttering, doubting man in Moses to rescue Israel from slavery. God used a prostitute a prostitute named Rahab to bring Israel's first victory in the promised land of Jericho. And God called a man who seemed to say whatever was on his mind, whenever he wanted to say it, in Peter. God used a man who was killing the church and the people to take the, to take the gospel to the unbelieving world. The point is, is that God can use anybody. We just have to be willing to allow him. We just have to get on his plan. He can use whatever you bring to the table for his glory. There are no excuses about God's glory being used through you. We just have to get on God's plan. Beth Moore writes in her book, A Heart Like His, which is about David, that God doesn't work on sense. He works on grace. He called you. He called me. And he knew what he was doing. And no matter how badly we messed up in the past, God can still use us. And he wants to. Just a few more things before we, we wrap up. This miracle has taken place. Jesus blessed the food. They pass it out. And it says in Mark and also here in John that everyone ate and they were satisfied. They were full. Basically, these people felt like they just went to Lambert's and they're coming out. It's time for a nap, right? Have we all been there? Amen. Yeah. Oh, Lambert sounds good. It's about time. It's about time. So it tells us in verse 13, that they, being disciples, collected and filled how many baskets? Twelve. And how many disciples were there? So each disciple is physically carrying the evidence of the power of God in their hands. Each disciple can look and say, how did we get from this five loaves and two fish to this? Now we have leftovers. How did we get from nothing to something? Philip didn't have an answer. Andrew had no clue. He, he saw an opportunity, but it didn't seem like it worked. The rest of the disciples, as mentioned in the other gospel, wanted nothing to do with this situation. They just wanted to call it a day. They wanted to be done with it. But here's the thing. If we will allow God to use us and we will get into God's miraculous plan of saving people, there's no greater miracle that can happen than someone being saved and coming to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Nothing greater can happen in your life. 
If we can get on God's plan, no matter what we bring or what we don't bring to the table, we just allow God to use that, God will supply us with the reward of seeing the fruit. We'll see the evidence of God working through us. We will see the evidence of God working through people if we just get on God's plan. But it's probably going to be tiring. There's going to be times you're not going to want to do it. Disciples wanted to go home. Jesus, come on, let's go, let's go away. There's been times in my life, in ministry, I was ready to call it a day. A week, sometimes a year. Just, I felt worn out. I was tired. I didn't see anything happening. I felt like the disciples, I was just an usher, sitting people here and there. Nothing's coming out. Just, let's just be done with it. It's my flesh. My flesh was weak. And when I got to that point, I had to fully rely upon God. God, I need your strength. I need your words. I, 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 need, I need your outlook. I need to be able to see people the way you see them. In those moments when I was getting ready to give up, but I didn't, and, and, I, and I just followed God's instruction, just as the disciples are following Jesus' instructions. In those moments, I've seen some incredible things. Here in a couple weeks, we're going to start Wednesday Night Live, and some of y'all I know get tired. It, it's tiring to love on kids, teach kids, lock kids in rooms. No, we don't do that. <laughs> it's t- well, Jackson does. But, uh, it's tiring. It's it's exhausting to have Bible discussions when there's no discussion. It, it, it wears you out. For you all who prepare week in and week out for, for teaching kids and teaching students and teaching adults and, and you just not see anything, and there's many in this place that I'm, I'm guessing, man, I'm just, I'm done. I want to be done. Just like the disciples, you want to be done. Would you be willing to persevere, to push on, knowing that if God called you to that ministry, if God's called you to this place, He wants to do something, but sometimes we have to get over ourselves. Sometimes we just have to completely come to this place of exhaustion and surrender and say, okay, God, you've got to do that, and that's exactly where God wants us to be in the first place. God, you've got to do this because I can't can't come up with a plan. What I do come up with just doesn't work out. God, I just got to surrender. Allow you to do what only you can do. Nowhere in this word does God ever promise that working and doing the work of the kingdom is going to be easy. You'll never find that promise. Matter of fact, there's nowhere in this, in this word that I'll ever tell you living for the kingdom and living as a Christian is going to be easy. That promise isn't there either. But if we would remain faithful, if we would just trust and follow the instructions that God has given us in His Word, we'll see the fruit. We'll see the fruit. I want to wrap up on one more thing. John chapter 6, verse 15. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take Him by force and to make Him king, He withdrew again to the mountain by Himself. And this is going to set up our next miracle next week. This is a busy day for Jesus, fed 5,000 people, and he's going to walk on water next week. Big day, big day. Um, But what we see here 
is the people didn't quite understand. See, what the people wanted is they wanted a worldly king, Jesus. They wanted Jesus to be the king in Israel. That's when we come to the, the week of Passover and Jesus comes in and they're waving the palm branches. That's the mindset. He's coming in to restore Israel back to its splendor and glory as in the days of old of David and Solomon. And so these people, they see these miracles, and they weren't seeing these miracles as signs to point to God. They were seeing these miracles as signs to point to something they wanted. They didn't want an eternal king, which is what Jesus came to do. They wanted a worldly king. But Jesus didn't come up to set a kingdom that would fade away over time or a new kingdom would rise and take its place. Jesus came to set up an eternal kingdom that dwells in the hearts of his people. You may be here this morning, and we're going through the miracles, and miracles are great. But one thing I know that God is calling you to, no doubt in my mind, God is calling you and calling me to take place in the miracle of sharing our faith with people. To share about the kingdom that will never end, that reigns eternal, the God who sits on his throne who will never move. And God has already placed people in your life to share. You may call them friends, you may call them co-workers, but that's God working in your life. And he's inviting you to be a part of that to share your faith, your experiences with Jesus and how He has changed your life. But you may be here this morning and God has called you to some sort of ministry in this church, in this community, or, or wherever God has placed you, and you've come up with all the logical reasons why that can't happen. Are you willing just to let those go and say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you? You know my bank account. You know my resources. You know all the reasons and my scheduling and why I can't do this, but God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to be a part of what you want to do. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just kind of checking this church stuff out, this Christianity thing out. And you've heard about Jesus, you've heard about God. and You don't know where you are with that. But here's what I know about Scripture. We talk about this in Bible study. There are two types of people in this world and in this room at this moment. There are people who are lost, and there are people who are saved. I'm not saying you all are lost. Okay, don't take offense. No need any letters this week. People who are righteous and unrighteous. People who are sons of God and people who are enemies of God. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're on the wrong side of eternity already. The Bible says you already stand condemned before God. But that's not what God wants for your life. God wants to intervene in a miraculous way. He is inviting you to a relationship with Him. The Bible says that God created us all for a relationship with Him. The problem is we have sin. We all miss the mark. We all fall short. We can't be perfect. That's why we guys get that look sometimes, right? Yeah, that one. Stephanie just gave me. What? Yeah, that look, you know. We get that look sometimes because we all mess up. Not just guys. You women do too. We all do it. Okay? We all mess up sometimes, and that's what the Bible calls sin. That's falling short of God's perfection, what God wants us to, where God wants us to be. He wants us to be perfect. He wants us to be holy, but we can't do it. And so some of us here may maybe be coming to church because we figured that's what I got to do. I got to come to church. I got to read my Bible. I have to sing songs. I got to throw money in the plate. I, I need to be involved in church. And if I do that, then, then I'll be a good person. Then I'll, I'll have everything figured out. But the Bible says you can do all this good stuff and you can still be lost. There are going to be people who thought they were saved their entire life, and they're going to see Jesus face to face one day, and he's going to tell them, I never knew you. And they're going to say, but we did all this stuff. 
And all he's going to say is depart. You may be here this morning, you've done all the church Christian stuff, and you may just be checking out what church is and all that. Here's what you need to know. You were made for a relationship with God. Your sin, your falling short is keeping you from that relationship, and there's nothing you or I can do to make it work or make it be fixed. It is only through Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus wouldn't let him come and take him as king, because he came to die and rise again to be their eternal king. The Bible says, when I believe that God loves me that much, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, Jesus took my punishment, and then he rose again that I might be completely forgiven, given a new creation, a new name, a new identity. When I believe that, I don't have to have it all figured out. It's not about anything I do in this moment. Except I believe that God loves me and is for me that much, and then I accept that gift. The Bible says the way I do is, one, I believe in my heart that it's true even if I can't logically figure it out, and then I confess it with my mouth. I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to be forgiven for my sins, and I believe Jesus paid the cost of my sins, and I want him to be my eternal king. If you've yet to do that, I'm not talking about walking down an aisle. I'm not even talking about dunking in a bathtub. If you have not begun a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ, there's a very strong chance you're lost. And God wants to change that this morning. You may have all the reasons why you can't do it. But look at this miracle. God's not giving you that excuse. He's inviting you to be a part of it. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you know that you, I'm going to be standing here. You just have to come down and say, hey, Pastor Mike, I want Jesus. And we'll pray together and we'll celebrate together. Maybe you're here and God is calling you to be a part or, or to start some sort of ministry or mission or something like that at Harvest Hill. Maybe you just need to come and lean and kneel before the Father and say, God, I've been giving you all the excuses why we can't do it. No more. I'm just going to trust you. I don't know where you are, but I know our God is good. I know he's been speaking to my heart all week, and I believe he's been speaking to yours. And now's the time. Now's the time. We not only are hearers of the word, but we're doers of it. And God is inviting us to be a part of that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us into a work that is greater than ourselves. Lord, forgive us those times so we can say all the reasons why we can't. Lord, I thank you that your word remains faithful. You call people who can't do it, but you do it through them. Thank you for using me. I thank you for using every individual in this place that is your child. Think of what you're doing in their life and in their workplace and in their families and how you're speaking through them and being a light into those situations. But Lord, you know, we all can come up with reasons why we can't do something. Help us to lay those down. Just to trust you. But I pray for the individuals here this morning that are not your children. Lord, your love is speaking out to them. I believe your spirit is speaking out to their heart right now. Your word says you do not give us a spirit of fear. So in this moment, as they are scared, if they respond, what people think, Lord, just I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, you just knock down that wall. Give them the courage to come forward and let it be known. Father, forgive us if we've just gone through the motions and we haven't been pursuing after you in this relationship you've given us. 
thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. The power of your spirit. So let us respond the way we need to respond in this moment to your voice that's been speaking to our hearts. Thank you for loving us. Praise all in the name of Jesus. God has spoken. I invite you now to respond. Let's stand as we sing.